0: This is the Horse Radio Network.
1: This is episode 172 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Finish Line Fencing, the original and only warranted horse fence of its kind. Horsemanship Radio is part of the family of the horse video network and today i am honored and delighted to have two people who have made such a difference in horse world and i think you're going to love them too together one is my dad so i'm a bit partial that way but the other one is responsible for the new movie coming out called black beauty This is Debbie Lauchs, and you're listening to The Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Jen, with me today. Hi,
2: Jen. Greetings. Debbie, how's it going? Uh, Good, good. I gave you some homework,
1: or maybe you gave yourself some homework, I think, actually. I I, I was
2: a little foolish, yeah.
1: (laughs) And then I reminded you 15 minutes before we're supposed to do this, But, and I'm sure you'll say something genius and brilliant. That's okay. But- if anybody listened to episode one seventy one before this one, you'll you'll remember that we were working on the six imperatives for horses to be reasonable and ready to ride, and then you said something brilliant. You said, "Well, what about the six imperatives for people?" As I recall, is
3: that right?
2: I did. Uh, I mm-hmm. spent a lot more years in my life as a riding instructor than a horse trainer. Horse trainers have to be part riding instructor, and riding instructors have to be part horse trainer, but I thought of myself as a riding instructor, so I spent a lot more time dealing with the people part mm-hmm. than, um, and I spent very little time starting horses. I probably started a dozen horses in my entire career, so didn't you have a lot long that, career. but it struck me that six imperatives for a horse to be on his way to being started safely inhumanely, to stand still, back up, go forward, turn left, turn right, and stop. I thought, how can I apply that to the human being to be a good steward of that process? Because if the horse, if the human is crappy at it, the horse is never going to get good at it, right? True. So, stand still. How many it's horses? A good we, one. Yeah, <laughs> how, how, right? I said stand still, and you got uncomfortable as soon as there was nothing, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I think too many of us are not able to mentally or emotionally stand still. Nice. Right? I just want to take a deep breath when you say that. Very good. See, And that might relate to, I hear you guys talk a lot about when people are taking the courses, learning to breathe and bring your adrenaline down, Mm -hmm. stand Mm -hmm. still emotionally, Mm -hmm. mentally, physically. Practice that once in a while. So that was one. Yep, it's a good one. Back up is the next one. Take a step back. That's more than just physically taking a step back. Mm -hmm. We have to, as human beings, be able to take a step back and see what is going on in a more global way. So many times we get so involved in the detail that Mm -hmm. we don't see the tree, the forest Mm -hmm. for the tree, right? right? So you have to practice stepping back And getting a a wider view. And you have to do that when things are going well, as well as when things are not going well.
1: So true. The horses are individuals and we tend to get in our little routines and wonder why the horse
2: isn't falling into step. Um, So Mm -hmm. assessing, stepping back really good. Stepping back. And it's really easy to only step back when things aren't going well. Right. Well, then if you only do it when things aren't going well, you, again, are going to miss details that are important because believe it or not, you see more details when you step back of how things are going when how things are going well. So learn to do both. So that was number two. Very good. Uh, Go forward. We need to be able to have the courage to go forward. Mm -hmm. A lot of us horse people get stuck. You're afraid to take the next step. Mm-hmm. probably because number one and number two are not well-practiced.
1: Ah, right. So it gets you out of your comfort zone to Be go willing forward. willing to get out
2: of your comfort zone. Very good. I see this one a lot again. I was a riding instructor. People frequently get stuck in their riding. I cannot advance to the next level. I can't get that hurdle. I'm on a plateau. Mm-hmm. The most common reason that happens, in my experience, there's two common reasons. One is... The person you're working with as a coach has not been able to find a way that you learn. Your learning style is different. And we can talk about that on another show. And the other one is you have achieved conscious competence.
1: Oh, good.
2: When somebody tells you what the aids are, or you know what the aids are, left leg, right hand, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you can do those. And your conscious mind is not willing to let go and let your body do it without Consciously thinking about it So mm-hmm. Go forward Let go of that And test it If it doesn't work mm-hmm. Well Circle back around Back up Stand still Ta-da mm. Which brings, I like that Yeah Which brings us to Turn left turn right Okay Be willing to step left Or step right Change slightly Ah Right Good Maybe Like you said Horses are individuals Maybe This particular horse In this particular situation Needs a step left yeah. Or right. Right. Very good. Yeah. And the final one is stop. And this is one I had to do this one first <clears throat> in my learning curve, in my mature, my my maturing as a equestrian mm-hmm. is recognize that you sometimes just need to stop, and that's after you stop, then you can stand still or back up, or go left, or go right. But you have to stop first. And stop, I associate with those times when the adrenaline has gotten Mm -hmm. out of control. Mm -hmm. And if you cannot control that, if you don't recognize it, it's like, "Uh oh, I'm going wrong here. I've gotten Mm -hmm. this out of control. The adrenaline's up. Things are going badly, if not dangerously. If you don't recognize that and are willing to stop, the rest of it doesn't matter.
1: That excellent. That is so true.
2: And not only that, I think
1: also when you're training, know where to stop, <gasps>
3: Ooh, Oh, <yeah. laughs> uh,
1: you know, ending on a on a positive note, whatever it is that you can end on like that, I think is really helpful because horses have that thing we've talked about called latent learning, which is where I think they sleep on it overnight and they seem to come back to the to the session the next day further ahead, further which is ahead. such yeah. a, yeah, such a phenom. That's really good, Jen. Really good. I, th- I think too, that um, if people take this all to heart, maybe people, if you're listening to this, you wonder, how is it when I'm with my trainer, I can do these things and be so present and, and take my time? I don't think you're doing this with your lesson giver or your trainer this these are hours that you have to spend with your horse you and the horse alone or a horse if you have access to horses just to get all these skill sets down it's it's a relationship and if you know three parties are uncomfortable three in a party you know is is more difficult to really get into everything that you just described Jen I think you really need to spend some time with your horse. And guess what? That's pretty therapeutic anyway.
2: That's a good thing to be. That's an interesting point is many of us do not have the opportunity to do that. We Modern living, the only time we're with our horses is when we are with others, either in a social atmosphere, for example, at a boarding stable, or with a teacher of some type. But you're right to just spend the one-on-one alone time. What what they used to call back in the 70s, quality time, right? And quality time, well, we you know it doesn't have to be active. Sometimes quality time is sitting on a, a tur- upturned muck tub, right? And watching your horse eat his hay, right? Yeah. Which sounds, you know, on surface like maybe
1: a movie, you know, where they're <laughs> staring off. It's <laughs> kind of silly. But, you know, there. if you're going in there with the purpose, like you've just described, and, you know, you're really ticking boxes here, too. Even for us OCD people who might be, you know, getting through a set of circumstances for the day, you'd have to actually start to become more aware of your presence, the horse's presence, and forget everything else to really get good at this anyway. So even... If it looks like a Robert Redford movie (laughs) or something, it really is, it's really real. It's not just something that, an exercise, really.
2: It's It's really a relationship. It's not
1: just fluff. No, it's- It's it's, not fluff. Exactly. And dad, in this episode too, Monty, dad, is going to be talking about thigmotaxis. And thigmotaxis is like a big, long word for pressure, pressure, and how horses are thigmotaxic all over their bodies. And so that sounds- Like real intimidating, but actually part of the exercise could be thigmotaxis, either spatial into pressure, which a horse, that's how you Uh drive a horse or drive an animal forward is with your presence, with your body language, or... The opposite is where you, the horse pushes into you. And so there's some training techniques in that too. So this episode is chocker block full of lessons. Thank you, Jen. And also beautiful horses too, because we've got Ashley Avis, who is the creator of the most current Black Beauty. And what I love about Black Beauty, I mean, the unique thing that happened in the 1800s when Anna Sewell wrote this original book is that it came from the horse's perspective and that was revolutionary at the time now we think oh sure you know my my horse's perspective is all i think about people didn't back then it was really a farm animal the horse was you know, very utilitarian back then and i love what i'm not going to Spoil no it here, but yeah, I love what Ashley approached a Black Beauty with as us where Black Beauty came from. That'll be the unique yeah. twist
2: here. Yeah, too, if so you if you want to see it. the movie when it comes out, you should listen to this interview first. Very because good. you're going to get a lot more out of the movie. I agree. Yeah, and speaking of getting a lot more out of things, we're going to hear from Finish Line Fencing, our title sponsor here on the show, because you're going to get a lot more out of your fencing dollar with Finish mm-hmm. Line Fencing. Well, I'm really
1: excited. I've got Kim and Lisa on again from Finish Line Fencing. And today, you guys, I wanted to tell you that I'm getting lots of great feedback from the DIYers. And those are the do-it-yourselfers. And, uh, you know, I'm actually inspired to be a DIYer after listening to this. But, you know, they're they're actually putting things together like they want to do a round pin or they want to do a track for their horse in the backyard. So I noticed on your shop that you have like all the parts and pieces. Can you tell us a little bit about the shop and how comprehensive it is.
4: Absolutely. So we do have a full shop page on our website with all of the finish line, finish line, XL spools, coils, and all of the accessories needed to install and all of the post attachments as well. We do carry the electric, a few options of that as well. Um, you can also, when you're getting your order together, we are more than happy to get you a post quote as well just give us a call um, and we can get all of that information different quotes for you on different types of posts Um, we are definitely here to to work with you and and make this experience so enjoyable and just so your fence looks beautiful once it's done you'll be really happy so you can give us a call um, order all the supplies or if you end up going with an installer have your installer give us a call and we can we work with new installers all the time
1: Good. Okay. So you can walk us through making a beautiful fence. How do people get a hold of you?
4: Find us at finishlinefence.com. You can find our Facebook page. It's Finish Line Fence, or just give us a call at 877-625-6100.
1: Ashley Avis recently wrote and directed a modern day reprisal of black beauty, which will debut on Disney plus later this year for the holidays, featuring Kate Winslet as the voice of beauty as a former equestrian. Ashley was shocked to learn about the plight of the Mustangs in the West and forever moved to try to help make change. In Black Beauty, she mirrors Anna Sewell's original intentions of giving voices to the horses of her time by making Beauty a wild horse in today's world. Ashley is making a movie following up on this narrative feature film with a documentary called Wild Beauty, Mustang Spirit of the West. Well, welcome, Ashley Avis, and I've got Monty Roberts on the line, and I'm just so excited to put you two together. Ashley, it's got to be all about black beauty right now for you. We are sitting here middle of November of 2020, and how exciting is it to know that Disney is about to release your movie, Black Beauty?
5: It's wildly exciting. It feels completely (laughs) surreal after so many years of hard work on the film, with we had such an extraordinary team that came together to make this movie happen. And after, you know, after those many years and working pretty much seven days a week to make this movie what it is, we're just, I'm incredibly proud of what we've, what we've crafted.
1: You should be, you should be. And what I love about it too, you and I have talked, We you came and visited the farm and, and had dinner with dad and I and mom and Ed, your husband and and even your dog, and it was fun. <laughs> it was really fun. And it, what I loved about it was it's a it's a an updated version. I'm going to have you talk a little bit about that. I should have said dog whiskey, your dog whiskey. And uh, the the updated version fits so nicely with everything that Dad and I love. And you told you were telling Dad a little bit about Mustang, so we'll get into that too. But what I what I want to ask you about. Is what was the inspiration to take Black Beauty to a different place than not just knocking off Anasul's original intentions? Because it was a little dark. I mean, the the Black Beauty that I remember as a kid is a little dark, and I wonder if if there was an inspiration to change that up a little bit.
5: The original novel, many people don't know, as you've you've just cited, is is not necessarily a children's book. You mm-hmm. read the first chapter, and and it really hits some some hard hitting themes right off the bat about kindness and cruelty and and the the value of the life of a horse and how that was treated, how that can still be treated sometimes in our world today. So I I grew up with the novel, as as many people did, and it very much directly inspired my love of horses. I I read Black Beauty and I read The Black Stallion, and I I really think that those two books created this really interesting merger has now resulted in the feature film, Black Beauty. I fell in love with horses because of Black Beauty by Anna Sewell, and I fell in love with the idea of filmmaking, even though I didn't know the direction I was going to go in in my career at at such a young age. But the Black Stallion and the feature film adaptation that was done in the 70s, that scene with Alec and the Black on the beach, and that moment of there's just pure connectivity and Mm -hmm. the visually sweeping nature of that, and it's just set to score, and it's just about communication and that relationship you can have with a horse. And so when I Met with producer Jeremy Bolt for the first time about a little over three years ago. We sat down and we were just talking about films that had inspired us, and I mentioned that scene in The Black Stallion, and that was the kickoff to us discussing and a modernized version of Black Beauty. And he said, "My partner Robert and I have wanted to remake Black Beauty for ten years. If you have a take, let me know." And and I went from being very quiet and a little shy to, <laughs> I, I just exploded with just excitement and ideas, and because I knew the novel so well. And Jeremy had said, "We know we want to do two things: we we want to have beauty be female, and we want to modernize the story for audiences of today." And so it was the the way the wild horse aspect came into it was having grown up with the novel, having such a deep love for the work Anna Sewell did and the good that came out of the publishing of Black Beauty. Yeah. I really wanted to honor those themes and not just take a piece of intellectual property that has great titles that everyone knows and create a whole new story. And so finding the parallels, we, we feature so many of the original characters in some of those key chapters from John Manley to Jerry's family, where, when Beauty was a carriage horse, we've got a, a scene in Beauty where there's an homage to the original origin story of her as a mm-hmm. cab horse and, and honoring the original locations such as Burtwick and Urschel and uh, some of the famous scenes in the book. And But the biggest question mark was Beauty's origin story. There's no direct parallel, so to speak, between Beauty being a cab horse in mm-hmm. late 1800s London, and today, you know, we have cars. And so I I went back and I started researching why Anna Sewell wrote the novel in the first place, and I didn't know until I started doing that that she had been crippled at a very young age, and she was literally carried by horses her whole life, mm-hmm. and that inspired her deep understanding of them, and she wrote Black Beauty to try to encourage the people of her time to understand empathy and that horses can feel emotions like love and loss and and all of those those that myriad of feelings and so the reason beauty is a wild horse is because that was an issue that i started researching and i felt if beauty's origin story was a wild horse maybe we could do what anna sewell intended to do with her novel for the horses of today
1: that's beautiful what a great soliloquy thank you you. (laughs) you. no it's a wonderful inspiration and i love it and i think So many people relate to the wild horse these days, whether they think of the Mustang or whether they just think of the beauty of a horse out there, feeling like they're free. Whether there's a fence somewhere in their life or not, I hope so, just to keep them safe. But, but it it does feel like that relatability. I wanted to bring Monty in here, hey Dad, and ask how inspiring. How inspiring was that for somebody who you were very young when you worked with the Mustangs, the wild, literally crawled on your belly out into the wild Mustangs. How exciting is it to hear that somebody from this generation can bring that forward with you?
6: Uh, It's just so exciting for me, Debbie. And in recent times, I've thought a lot about loving horses. And the fact that we have a lot of people these days that just love horses they just love horses all of them and everything is fine and they do some funny things with horses because they simply love horses and even push it to the extent that they wouldn't put a saddle on one or ride it they love horses and you know I'm stopping to think there's a balance here and I want people to love horses but I want them to love them for a reason and to know why they love them. And you don't have to love all horses. You know, I love the human species. I love people. I really do. Now Charles Manson oh. <laughs> is not a guy that I would love. prefer to love. And so why do I love people? Well because most people are worth loving. Mm. And most horses are worth loving. And we all should have a reason for loving them. And I I think that's what you've done with this book is to find reasons why we love these horses. Mm-hmm. And no horse was born with an intention to cause pain or harm to any human being. They just were not. Mm-hmm. So they got a head start on human beings. and If we stop and think about it, if we work with horses, if we get to know the horses, there will be reasons why we should love the horses. And I think that's what you've done here.
1: Ah, so Ashley, did you bring elements of the horse's personality? Kate Winslet plays the voice of Black Beauty, right?
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Did you bring elements of why she loved Black Beauty in there? Because she is the the character of, the ingenue character, teenager, Joe green. I no, let's see. Yes. Joe green is the teenager. I haven't seen it yet. So I'm excited about this, but, and <laughs> so black beauty is rounded up and brought to Burtwick stables and meets the teenager, but the teenager had also had some unspecified separation from her family. Correct. Is there a reason that you left that unspecified?
5: I, I'm not sure if, in the in some of the press some of that it's not in every article that's been released yet but um but joe she arrives at burtwick in a similar state to beauty where she's lost her parents she's lost her family and all she's ever known and she is she's in this she's in a very similar mind space to beauty who has lost her mother she's lost her family band she's lost her freedom and they're both in this foreign environment where they're heartbroken they feel like their spirits are broken and through that connection, they find they start to find healing, and they start to find their peace with one another. and And from there, they're able to grow into the, the the young woman and the the horse that they're that they're individually meant to be. And it was very um it was very important to me in the casting process. I mean, Mackenzie Foy really represents all of the things I hoped of Joe Green, and it was really difficult to even think about who, who would play this 17 year old? That's a very specific time in a young person's life. There's a lot of change that happens at that point, but, but has the fire as well as the elegance, the, the mm. strength, as well as the delicacy. And I feel like that's how I feel when I'm around a horse. It's mm. You have this incredible power, but you also have usually as, as Monty so eloquently said, most horses are, are willing and open and, and kind if they've been treated correctly. And, and but there is that delicacy along with the power. and i and I always felt like there was very much a parallel between Joe and beauty. Joe is like a mustang herself. And the trifecta of that that storyline is that you have Uncle John, who essentially is kind of like is kind of like Monty, where mm. he's a horse whisperer, and he initially treats Joe in the only way he knows how, like a wild horse herself. Mm. She's angry and she's heartbroken, and he's trying to get through to her. But it's really through the bond with beauty and that understanding that there are all three of them are able to find their peace.
3: Mm,
1: that is great. I just got chills. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Super. Yeah, no and, and one thing too that I I didn't want to not get in here so i'm going to jump in here too it's very exciting about disney plus but you've also been working on your own documentary kind of throughout this thing right i think it goes back a few years now that you began working on a documentary called wild beauty mustang spirit of the west and is that does that have a release date yet or are you are you still working on that
5: the Wild Beauty musting Spirit of the West, it's a documentary project that we began last year before we departed to Cape Town to film Black Beauty. And the way that came about was in, in knowing that we were filming Black Beauty, which set, a, a good chunk of it is set in the western U.S. and then in New York. Black Beauty was being filmed in and around in Cape Town. So we wanted, I very much wanted to have the authenticity of featuring footage of real wild horses in the film. And I had identified the Anaki herd in Utah, and I so badly wanted to go film in that area and had this plan in my head to that eventually, perhaps we could marry the footage between the Anaki herd of Utah with the, the staged quote unquote wild horses and, and Beauty's family in South Africa, which was supposed to be Wyoming. And so my husband, Ed and I, we run a small production company, and we were able to raise a little bit of money independently about a month and a half before we left for South Africa to actually spend two weeks filming the Anaki herd in Utah. We went up to the white mountain HMA in Wyoming, and then we filmed a a, a roundup in Nevada, triple V roundup. And so when we, uh, when we got down to South Africa and I I also edited black beauty myself, I cut the film, which was a really unique experience. I've been editing for about 10 years, but it was a, it was quite a, a, quite a big vote of confidence for Constantine film to allow me to edit, edit my own movie. and But it, it reaped so many benefits, even though it was, you know, at, at a lot of times very difficult. But I was able to actually cut the scenes where Beauty is seen, Little Baby Beauty in the Wild in Pickettburg, South Africa. When she looks at her family, I cut the shots of Anaki. And marrying that footage, it was unbelievable once, once I got into the cutting room and really was going through the thousands of hours of footage that we had and seeing that even the, the grass in Anaki, for example, was so similar to the beautiful grass of Pickettburg and how how well they matched. It was, I keep saying, it was like a little gift that we were given. And so that was just, it was really special to be able to actually use real wild horses in the film. So by doing that and spending two weeks Filming some of that great that great footage, we decided that we wanted to embark on a full fledged documentary where we could, after Black Beauty comes out and people are curious about the plight of wild horses, that we can continue that as a wave of, of positive awareness and to release a doc. So that'll come out. We're we're targeting the
1: end of 2021 for the documentary. Great. Okay. Great. So we don't have to wait too long. Anyway, we just next, next <laughs> Christmas season for this. That's fantastic. Uh, and I and I love that you've. You've married the idea of a horse that's out of sorts because of the, let's just call it that, because of the way that we're handling our horses in the in the management system that relates to people. It's just such a crazy year, 2020, and everybody feels out of sorts anyway. So I think it's going to be really relatable, not only to Black Beauty, but then I'm so glad that you put us on the map with these wild horses to create some curiosity there and so that people do find out what do you think and this may be something that is too hot of a potato to pick up but what do you think (laughs) is the next best step for the wild horses Uh, what could we be doing just us people who love horses and we love specific things dad about our horses but what do you think is the next step for for wild horses and then i'll ask dad too
5: I think illumination has been the thing that I've identified as the problem growing up as a horse girl. And I grew up riding, I I was born in Chicago, but spent most of my young adult life in Florida. And I know the Western states are not that far away, but I had never heard that we were rounding up wild horses and putting them into these permanent holding facilities. And I've been to some of those, you know, some of them don't even have shade and they can't gallop anymore. And I mean, it's. it's incarceration really and I think no matter where you stand on the why that is happening the treatment of the horses to me is extremely black and white and the way that those choppers chase them for miles and the babies are run to death and we've you know we've witnessed that firsthand and then to spend their lives just trapped in facilities like that it's just I think from an an animal rights viewpoint that that's just wrong so I think Getting more people to realize that's happening—not just horse people, but all people who love animals—and mm-hmm. building that awareness. That's I'm really excited. Our film very, very well illustrates a, a roundup, and I think that there will be. I hope that there will be a response from a wider audience, a global audience. That wow, we have wild horses in our country, still how magnificent, mm-hmm. but wow, they're being rounded up. And then I've spent a lot of time talking to the American Wild Horse Campaign as well, and they've—it's they've got. They've they proposed great plans with fertility control on the range. And I know Colorado, the state of Colorado, has made great strides with implementing that and just not keeping the solution isn't sustainable to keep horses, to keep rounding them up and building more facilities. It's right. just it's not sustainable. So keeping them on the range and finding a way to do that is the goal. But Very I think it good. starts with illumina- illumination.
1: Very good. Monty?
6: Well, um, I completely agree with the fact that these holding corrals is not the way to go. Yes, building energy to adopt is, is a big part of it. But also, as was suggested, to make sure that the government, the U.S. government and the Canadian government work together to provide wild horse family groups for those areas that are public lands and to be sure that they're not interrupting cattlemen's fences and so forth and so on so that they get people angry with them and they shoot them on the spot to prevent the destruction. So when you take a step back and you look at that whole situation, A, the holding pens are not the answer. More adoptions is part of it. Holding them in areas where they're beautiful and everybody gets to see them in the next generation too
0: mm-hmm.
6: and birth control controlling the numbers of reproductive capacities is is essential and we can do it this day and age i was in 1952 i was in a meeting where i said that birth control is coming along for human beings and it must be true that we could somehow do that with the horses in the wild. And, and I think there are ways. I'm not sure of all of the scientific and medical things involved, but I'm sure we can control the numbers so that we don't have this vast sort of explosion of the population mm-hmm. yeah. of wild horses. And if we get our heads on it and and we put our minds to it, there's good minds out there that can do this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I've already seen some new things coming out and some very encouraging reports, too. You now, some people, you know, will resist, but there's always a faction of people that will resist almost any change. So we understand. But I, I agree with both of you that, that there is no room for the holding pins anymore. Bad idea. Need to stop that stuff. But, but Ashley, the, the other thing that I wanted you to share a little bit, if you don't mind, is about your adoption, the process and the story that you have of your own.
5: So what we, when we filmed the Triple B Roundup in Nevada, it was the first roundup that I had seen live. I had seen there are a number of documentaries out there, and there's footage that you can watch, but there's nothing like seeing something like that, and the, the just the heartbreak of seeing something like that in person. And so we we went up the hill. We had a small crew and a lot of gear. I don't think they, I don't think it was expected that we were going to be be bringing film level camera deer the the triple b roundup but we did and we hauled it up the hill and we filmed for a couple of days and and watched the helicopters descend and and run the horses in and there's one this one particular instance because you see the babies get driven away by themselves and get separated and that's
3: just especially
5: heartbreaking and and there was this one little colt he was this little tiny black and black and gold and white paint colt who got driven away from his band and he was and the helicopter was just forcing him into the trap site by himself. And it was just so, and you could see him. He had such a, you know, we had a massive lens and we could see his expression even on my little portable monitor. I'm just watching this baby throwing its head around and you can't hear that he's crying from three miles away, but it's just, it was just my heart broken away that I've never experienced in my life. And I turned to my husband, Ed, and I said, if he survives, I really want to do something about him. And we weren't equipped or prepared to bring a wild horse into our lives, but okay. Ed said okay, and and so he was reunited with his mother in Holding, and she's a cobalt black mare. She's about four years old, and it's not a star, but it's this beautiful white stripe, and she looks mm. at, at, for all the world like a wild black beauty. Uh-huh. And so when when they got reunited, and AWHC sent sent a rep. To Palomino Valley, the holding facility, they were taken to to take some photos just to see if they were there. Four holes that I know died in that roundup, and and I got some photos and saw him with his mother. And I turned to my husband Ed and I said, "Well, we've we've got to take them both." (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. He said, "Okay." So they so it took months to even get them out of the of the holding facility, just the process and shots and all that. So by the time we were able to get them out, we had we were already in South Africa filming black beauty. And so I got a call while I was on set in, you know, some wild location, they're ready to go. And a a wonderful friend of mine, Jill Starr from lifesavers, wild horse rescue. I called her and I said, can you help me with just a a safe place for them until we're back where they're going to be taken care of? And so she was instrumental along with Mm -hmm. her colleague, Cheyenne Price to, to, house them until we were able to get back. And so now that we are, we're I'm about to start working with a wonderful trainer, Alex Sadak, with mm-hmm. them. And I'm just really excited to, to go through this process myself. And some of our work colleagues keep joking that I'm turning into my characters
1: because this is exactly what <laughs> Joe Joe Green does in the movie. <laughs> does she? Oh, that's great. No, that's great. So that's that's actually a little tip right there. We get to see some of that work with the wild yeah. horse. That's
5: great. Yeah. yeah.
6: Well, that's a, that. You just imagine the number of stories that would parallel that. Tens of thousands, you know, that end sadly instead of the way you did. And we all need to assume that responsibility and try to make it better. Yeah, it's absolutely. Not, I don't think it's beyond our capacity to make it a lot better.
1: That's right. That's right. And Ashley, you're doing a huge part and a huge service toward that. So I really appreciate it. The fact that you're making beautiful movies too, we appreciate. And and you're and you're well, that's young. A bonus. <laughs> Isn't that a bonus that she? You, you know, yeah. it's it's such a great platform uh, in achieving Disney. And congratulations on that. Congratulations on this documentary that I think will change lives. It will certainly change horse lives, but I think it'll change people's lives too. And the closer we get horses and people together, I think the closer that we will achieve yeah. some more peace en- in our encouraging, culture
6: encouraging encouraging this kind of thing it going to help in that in that making it better situation and boy are you responsible for tens of thousands of people that will be moved by your your stories mm-hmm. and and the beautiful scenery that yeah. you provide for them
1: Ashley, tell us. So, its its initial release is November twenty seven. Which, as we speak, this is mid November, so it's very close. Tell us where people can watch it.
5: So, it comes out yes, November 27th, the day after Thanksgiving, and it's available. It's
1: coming out worldwide on Disney Plus. Look at that! Amazing, girl. That is so fun. I'm so happy. Thank, you. You. <laughs> it's Thank you. It's great. It's and, pretty and, surreal. Yeah, it's surreal. It,
5: Pretty surreal, <laughs>
1: which is great. But um, but you, they recognize talent when they see it, and I'm really glad they saw it in you as a horse girl, uh, growing up with horses too. And we're just we want to have you back to talk about the ramifications of all this wonderful work that you're doing, and we want to hear more about your documentary. So you'll come back, yeah.
5: I can't wait to come back. And and again, guys, it was beyond special to meet you in person, both of you, Monty, I felt like a I felt like a little kid standing in front of you for the first 15 minutes <laughs> just you, meeting you, you in just, person. And
6: <laughs> you, you, you just remember how much I appreciate what you're doing and how I will help any way I can whenever you request.
5: Thank you, Monty. That means the world to me. Thank you for everything you've done. I can't wait to keep building on this legacy and to keep making change.
0: Thank you. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts and I'm coming to you now to talk about the Monty Roberts Online University. You know, there ought to be six months in everybody's life where they just live with their animals. I've been staying home. But three months now, I've been home with this virus thing. And the things I'm learning, we're bringing you a new series. What Horses See, How Horses See, and About Horses Seeing Things. The online university is bringing you the last three years of my learning process, which I promise you is the learningest years I ever spent. The Monty Roberts Online University, uh, you won't miss a minute of it if you get started on it. I love bringing it to you, and it's my shot to take my concepts to the next generation.
1: Horse and Hound Magazine named Monty one of the top 50 all-time greatest horsemen. He's the creator of the world-renowned and revolutionary equine training technique called Join Up. Monty travels the world demonstrating that nonviolent, gentle training creates breakthrough performance as you partner with your horse. Growing up on a working horse farm, Monty witnessed traditional, often violent methods of horse training and breaking the spirit with an abusive hand. Rejecting that, he went on to win nine world championships in the show ring. Today, Monty's goal is to share the message that violence is never the answer. Monty is credited with launching the first of its kind, Equus Online University, an interactive online lesson site that is the definitive learning tool for violence-free training. Well, welcome back, Dad. How are you?
6: I'm fine. I'm excited. There's a lot of things going on, Debbie. Mm -hmm. I know COVID is horrible and and it's all <laughs> going to be very bad because they might even lock down the country again. Oh, boy. But, yeah, I've been locked down anyway, so that part's all right. I just hope we get a vaccine soon and we can mm. put all this behind us.
1: I do, too. I do, too. But, you know, your lockdown and other people's lockdown, say city dwellers, look a little bit different. And I've been following you around Lurking in the shadows a little bit watching you with your deer and with your horses and you've been pretty pretty darn active actually for a person in lockdown because you have that ability to have some room to little elbow room around here and 75 acres or so and not everybody has that advantage I know but. I wanted you to share some of the things that you're learning so that we can at least, if we haven't been working with our animals, when we are able again to do that, I wanted to to learn a little bit from you about what your your extension of the knowledge that you have with the deer and with, of course, the application to the horses as well that you're learning from them. What okay. you've picked up in the last month or so.
2: Yeah.
6: Yeah. It's interesting, really interesting. You You've been watching me. You say... Did you see anything unusual this morning as you looked out your window cuz I know you watch me out the window <laughs> I with do. the deer? Well, I'm working Can you on my tell computer. Tell me about it.
1: Well, You're you not were
6: sneaking you... up on me.
1: No, but, I'm um, not.
6: <laughs> I really am not. But, but but did you see anything unusual?
1: I did I did see one thing I was going to ask you about was what were you carrying around out there with the deer?
6: Well, why was I carrying around anything? Did you see anything that the deer did that was unusual?
1: Uh, they were, they were eyeing you up pretty good, but I didn't notice anything too well,
6: let extraordinary. Let me tell you, let me tell you that for the first time in the 47 years that I've worked with this family group, mm-hmm. they all left after the, their morning yes. visit here. And generally mm-hmm. they visit in the morning to the mm-hmm. house yep. and they spend an hour or two, maybe even two and a half hours. And then they come back in the evening and they spend time at the house okay. and they get a little treat for coming around but food they have all over this property and it isn't 70 some acres it's 90 some acres Total. and and then around the outside of us is another oh, 200 300 acres that they can browse on and they are browsers they're not grazers they'll eat some grass but they love the leaves and and more uh woody kind of plants than they do the grass. So they generally leave at about oh around eight in the morning or so they're gone. And that was no different this morning. They were gone around eight and I had things to do with the crew that's working here. So I was out there just checking on them and uh they had already had their treat at six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning. But I look up, and here comes Kim, back from her trip away from the house, just to say hello. And you asked me what I was carrying around. Wow, I said, this is the first time in 47 years that any of the deer, after leaving, they spend the day away. But to come back then, when they heard my voice or whatever, was pretty unusual. So I went and got a little rubber cup that I have. And I put a little bit of grain in it, and I gave Kim a, a bite of grain just for coming back, just kind of a little uh-huh. thank you for coming back to me. And a couple of others came back with her. Well, that's the first time in 47 years that they have returned during mm-hmm. the course of a day after they left in the morning. Mm-hmm. And it was it was quite unusual. But um, the things I'm learning because of the time I'm spending with them that originally I was traveling all over the world for 110 days out of each year for 31 years. So I didn't get to spend this kind of time with them, but now I am. And wow, is it producing? Yeah. First of all, I learned about positive thigmotaxis, mm-hmm. That is the into pressure action of a horse in a behavioral pattern that I think is the most important behavioral pattern that horses have because it has everything to do with anything that we do in asking a horse Mm -hmm. to perform for us. They go into pain and into pressure not away from it. Mm -hmm. And they have to be trained to go away from pressure. And that's what the dressage rider does about training them off their leg. Mm -hmm. But each horse wants to go into your leg first until they're trained to go off of it. By releasing the pressure, when they do go off, we can retrain their mind. Mm -hmm. Well, you don't retrain a deer very easy. So they are into pressure animals. Positive thigmotaxis. Negative thigmotaxis is to go away from pain, and that's what we humans do, except in our mouth. And children who are bringing in new teeth that have a red gum that hurts like heck will want to bite down on something hard that is positive thigmotaxis into pressure into pain that's what horses do if they hit their hip on a narrow door they'll hit it harder the next time if they hit their head on top of a low trailer they will hit it harder the next time well so um Xenophon wrote about this 2,000 years ago. Positive Thigmotaxis, he called it, because I suppose that's a Latin word or Greek I suppose. word. Mm-hmm. Positive Thigmotaxis and negative Thigmotaxis. He identified those. What Xenophon did not do, and I'm doing right now, is to say to you that there is another Thigmotaxis, that nobody has identified before my time, at least not in the caves where we see the drawings of that kind of thing. We learn a lot about behavior from drawings in the caves, about what children did with wild animals and stuff. Mm -hmm. Nobody has identified, or is it written anywhere, that there is spatial figmotaxis, both negative and positive. What? What is spatial stigmataxis? Well, I have learned uh, in this last four months or so, I have learned that as you try to drive our deer, and when I say our deer, I mean all of the deer in the United States and I think Canada for okay. the most part, and the deer, deer of Europe, and I believe the virtually the whole of Africa, have spatial thigmotaxis. And when I say deer, I will include the antelope and other flight animals or the food for the predator. So what is spatial thigmotaxis? If you try to drive them north, they will press on you and curve around and go south, whether they wanna go south or not. That's what they'll do. If you're gonna go east, they will go west. And they will resist the space of moving forward as you suggest you want them to do, okay? So they read what you want them to do, and they say, "Uh uh-uh, we're going the opposite. What? Mr. Roberts, that's the craziest thing I ever heard. <laughs> you can drive deer, everybody knows that you can drive the reindeer. And yeah. I I think you can drive the reindeer and I've seen reindeer drives. Yeah. And also the Alaskan animals flight animals. They will drive. Why is that then if you say that most of our flight animals in the middle of our earth will refuse to be driven. Well, I think it's because my opinion is, and I know that the universities will work on this now. Okay. My opinion is that when you go to the ice caps, there's practically no canine predators. Uh Ah. There's no canine predators. Their feet are wrong. I know there's, there's wolves in upper, Canada and and I think in Alaska too, but not so many. What? That's true. Yeah, I had thought about wolves when you said that. Not so many. And I I don't think that they hunt the deer so much. And so those deer will drive and they will go away from us because we're predators and we're Mm -hmm. making signs like we want them to go somewhere. So they'll go away from us, which means you can drive them. Gotcha. Well, our deer, you can't drive. You cannot drive. If you want them to go north, they will go south. Why is it? Because the canine is a clever operator and they will send one dog to do the driving while the whole pack of dogs will go where they're going to drive the deer and the deer will be driven to the pack of Predators, in this case, the pack of canines. Mm -hmm. And so those that go there and drive easily are eaten quickly. And the ones that press and go back the opposite direction, they get around the single dog that's Mm -hmm. trying to drive them to the pack of dogs. And if they will be driven easily, they will be eaten easily by the pack. Mm-hmm. So I know that it's, it's not a specific hardcore every time happening, but the tendency in the behavioral pattern of these flight animals is to go against being driven and mm-hmm. the Mustang is included. Ah, Okay. They have to draw, they have to build vast wings To get them to be driven to a trap somewhere Mm -hmm. because they will curve around you and twist around and go back. So horses fall into that same category as the deer. They're flight animals and they're Mm -hmm. grazers. So they're flight animals and they will try to go in the opposite direction. That's spatial thigmotaxis. And, what's, and the application,
1: uh, what's the application in a field? Like if you're going out and you've got one of those that just doesn't like to be caught, they're pretty smart.
6: Yeah. What do you do after you catch him? Oftentimes, him you'll be mostly mm-hmm. the tough guys. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll wrestle and wrestle and wrestle to try to catch one. And they'll finally get him caught, and they're so angry, they'll kick him in the belly and uh, slap him upside the head or something. Mm-hmm. And they don't forget. Mm-hmm. And so the next time they come in the field, they say, get out of here. I don't get caught. Uh, I know what happens when I get caught. Mm-hmm. So they become horses difficult to catch. Okay. You can train a horse to be caught just as easily as you can train him to be difficult to catch. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you have to reverse the process. And they have to get something that they admire, something that they enjoy.
1: Mm-hmm.
6: Once they're caught.
1: Once they're caught. Okay. So they have to have yeah. some fun. And They'd- so
6: so most people will say, oh, food, food, food. And it doesn't have to be food. But you can't catch them and just throw a saddle on them and cinch them up and ride them all day and work like hell and then turn them loose and expect them to be easy to catch the next day. So they have to have something pleasant. Give us
1: some examples with- of that. What what that, what that might be. Besides food.
6: Maybe it's just taking them to the barn and rubbing their head and, you know, giving them a chance to just relax for a while before you actually do something that's rigorous. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not difficult to reward them with something. And they can. In fact, I, I use it all the time. I put down a little bit of grain in a tub okay. under where you tie them ah, yes. and you let them steal it. it's not that you're giving them food. It's not that you carry a bucket out into the field at all, but you can, you can take them in and tie them up and let them steal three or four bites. And the next time you go to the field, they'll be right there.
1: It's not related to your body. They, it just happened to be there.
6: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a better education. Than actually feeding from the human body,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
6: because if if the food is connected to the human body, then they'll start nibbling on you or mm-hmm. worse, yeah. biting you. Yeah. But you you can overcome that easily. Overcome that by not connecting food to the human body, but let them steal a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I've got stories of of horses that were purchased in South America for a lot of money. Polo horses mm-hmm. that you couldn't catch in the field. And in two days' time, they will be the first ones you catch mm-hmm. when I do my schooling with them. And that's stealing a little little
1: yeah. mouthful of we've, we've got Yeah, we've got some good lessons on the Equus Online University, too, that you've done with Jamie Jennings host of the horses in the morning show here. And oh, yeah. also, yeah, I think you're, you're referring to Isabella Wolf has a wonderful one with the polo ponies, a, a well, difficult fun. mare. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's difficult fun. mare to catch. So let's get back to the spatial figmo or the opposition reflex. Some people call it too, but how does that, how does that hurting help us then? I I thought of the pasture. What else, what else do we, I know the end to pressure, lessons that you've well, given as soon us as, but.
6: as soon as we understand that and you know any behavioral pattern that our animals have mm-hmm. the better we understand it the better we can do all the things that we want to do with okay. them
0: mm-hmm.
6: and so our leg against the side our our hand on the reins tightening the bit or loosening the bit everything we do is better done If we fully understand the behavioral patterns of the horse's brain before we, we, we go to work on them. And my students whom some of them have been taught by things that were, you know, thought up by me, but I really didn't have a lot of the basis of information for it. I just watched the horses observe the horses responding to it. And, uh, we just finished the national finals championships for the working cow horses right. and with over a thousand entries, I had three students in there and there were two reserve world champions in those three Amazing. and one took home. The one that wasn't a, a reserve world champion took home a fat check. And all three of them took home more money than I made in my whole career. <laughs> it was unbelievable with a thousand and thirty-eight entries or something like that. All those entrance fees and those early payments of horses that didn't even go were just overwhelming. And here's my three students. All three made the finals in each of the contests that they were entered in. And, One took, I think the low one took home a check for 38,000 and then there was like 82,000 or something. And then there was like 138,000. They took home three of the only three I had in there. So did that you out of a thousand mm-hmm. and thirty-eight entries or something like that. So the
1: assumption okay. would be that they really understand the nature of the horse under them more than the fact that they're just you. You picked incredibly talented students.
6: Yeah, and one one of my students is dead and gone now, and that's Greg Ward. Uh, and um, not one I of those.
1: Started, that not one of those. Just one.
6: <laughs> not one <laughs> of those. One. I yeah. just yeah. talked about no. Yeah. But Greg, uh, I started working with him in 1954, uh, at Cal Poly university and he had one $350 horse and he got a saddle with him and he could barely ride, but he was a good athlete. And I just read a synopsis of a lot of the things that he said during the course of his four world championships, um, he, one of the things he said was horses are not our prisoner. They're not our slave. And the more we can cause them to want to do something, the better chance we have of having them do it well. And, and he said a lot of things that were long since separated from me Mm -hmm. and that he found out from the horses. Mm -hmm. And when he talks about who his teachers were, he never includes me. And I spend a lot of time with him and that's okay. But what he says was all my teachers had four legs. Right. Exactly.
1: Which is brilliant. Which is brilliant. Which is what I encourage all our listeners to do is don't listen to us. Don't listen to your trainer only. But go listen to those horses and then apply what everybody is trying to tell you and then see if it's actually fair to the horse working with the horse one yeah. thing
6: that that our teachers can teach us human mm-hmm. teachers with two legs mm-hmm. can teach us is how to listen to the horse right and and then walk away right but you you have to open your mind to there is a conversation that we can have with our horse It's just that we need to understand the flight animal, the grazer, the equine animal. We need to understand how they can communicate with us, and then we can learn from them. And I have students now all the time coming back to me and saying, hey, what about this one? And they'll show me something that I never saw before. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of fun. And polo has been the discipline which has taken violence away from the training more than any other discipline that I have. But of course, they had a massive amount of violence in the breaking of their horses. It was just awful. Yeah. And the whole thing is changing so rapidly, you can't believe it. And now the working cow horse is the next discipline. And this one that just finished is a perfect example of it all their rule books are changing to take violence away all of their performances are changing to take violence away when i was showing working cow horses during the dry work or the raining work when you ran down through there at 40 miles an hour and slid to a stop you had to spin instantly you couldn't sit there and now they go down there, they slide to a stop, and then the judges are scoring the slide. And while the judges are scoring the slide, they'll sit there with the reins relaxed, and they might adjust their hat. It's, they'll take 30, 40 seconds before they do their spin, and the horse is perfectly relaxed. Now, if you're using a spur in the shoulder to get them to spin, or a piece of barbed wire, which they used a lot to, to hit the horse with, they're not going to stand there and relax after the slide right. well now they do so that's telling us that at home they're being treated fairly and without violence
1: right and that's what we want thanks thanks for sharing all that today that was nice it's a nice little download from a college class almost i felt like i I learned a little science behind horses today, but I think there's practical application, and the more people understand about how the brain works in the horse, I think the better our relationships are even going to be, much less our performance.
6: Is that the time that we have now? It is. Okay, okay, because <laughs> I could tell you a lot more. Oh, lot of I know. I want to have you. But I'll come back, I'll come back <laughs> Thank another you. time.
1: I yeah, another time, very soon. Thanks, Dad.
6: Okay.
4: Whisper the language of the verb. Listen, you don't have to say a word.
2: It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this
4: world a better place, than The magic in the language
3: of Dear Monty. Hi there. I have a problem with a jumper. After his jump, he just goes absolutely mad, bucks, rears, and just freaks out. Now I'm an experienced trainer and unfortunately I cannot find the solution. He has been checked by the veterinarian and all is good. Please. I will appreciate the help. Just to let you know, I do train using Equus. Monty's answer. Thank you for your question. I am pleased to hear that apparently you have been using my techniques with your horses. This is a problem that I see globally. Horses tend to express energy after effort. Jumping tends to bring this out more than most activities. The best results I have had come through an effort to calm this moment and in time by doing a lot of low-level training. By that, I mean trotting and cantering over poles on the ground or poles set at two feet make it easy for the horse. When you begin to address this issue, please go through and study a good amount of lessons on causing the horse to learn to stand still. I believe you will find several lessons on the art of causing a horse to stand still on my online university. The main effort is to allow the horse to make a mistake and move, but only two or three steps and then back up with a firm request from the duly halter. This will be effective for you when you're on the ground simply teaching the horse to stand still. When you are in the saddle, learn to keep your hands down and relax. Expect your horse to stand still. Do not demand him to stand still. Let him move two or three steps and then make him back up to the original position. Please let me know if this has been helpful to you as I've had tremendous success with horses that have this remedial behavior.
1: For more of these
3: insights into good horsemanship, go to
1: montyroberts.com and click on the words Ask Monty at the bottom of the page. Coro is your source for all things horse. As a one-stop online shopping destination, you can find all your favorite horse products for the best prices, shipped directly to your barn door. Coro was created for the horse owner and horse care professional alike to make caring for your horse even easier with industry expertise, tried and tested products, and horse-inspired storytelling under one roof. Coro has something for everyone, no matter what breed your horse is or what their job may be. They care about the way you care about your horse, which is why they have tons of content on their blog, Coro Stories, and have created a community on their social platforms to help educate, entertain, and inspire horsemen and horsewomen alike. Now, for the holidays... Coro is launching a virtual pop-up shop that's going to feature some unique gift ideas for everyone on your shopping list. So you can get to your go-to favorite horse products, plus some fun items from small, local, U.S.-based artisans, as well as some of your favorite equine brands that will make great gifts for your trainer, your groom, pony kid, and all the other horse enthusiasts on your holiday shopping list. Check out their website today at Coroshop.com. That's C O R R O S H O P.com. And use the code Horsemanship10 for 10% off your first order today. That's Horsemanship10 for the love of your horse, Coro.
0: The wide, wide world of sports is going on
6: here. Where in the world is Monty Roberts?
1: Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. December 2020, we will have the first through the third, an introductory course module four, and that is preparing for the intro exams. These are the smart students now who have gone through and are ready to start preparing for that exam to get their certificate. Certificate in the introductory course. And then December 4th through 6th, we have our Horse Sense and Healing. And that is with veterans and first responders suffering from post traumatic stress. Then February 8th through 12th, we'll have another Monty special training. This is one that we have classically had once a year since 2006. But Monty special training will be twice in those 12 months. And we're really fortunate to have that because Monty's home. There's no traveling right now. And those are five five. five days with every conceivable situation. He just gets one horse out of another, out of another, out of the stall. And, and he gets to working with some that have never been saddled before and some that have remedial issues, some that won't load on the trailer. It's really a fun thing. It's a variety pack for five days.
2: And you can find all of that and so much more on the website, MontyRoberts.com. MontyRoberts.com is the one-stop shop because you'll find the uni there you'll find Q&A there you'll find what else oh um, I, you, you can find right. a, a certified instructor okay. there
1: Certified instructors, our outreach program, all the classes and courses are on there, all the merchandise. So so our special Julie Halters, the Madi merchandise. We don't do rock star stuff. We do educational stuff there. And then we also have our new adoption program. So oh, we that's adopt- right. Yeah, we've got a Mustang and Transition Horse program that we've partnered with the Ride Horse Initiative program of the ASPCA. You can go and shop for horses there even.
2: Yeah, so you can, adopt- you can find a horse that's had a good, solid start using Monty mm. Roberts' methods. Uh, it's so much fun training these horses. There's just,
1: they, the adoption partners have been genius in sending us just really the cream. They just need a little training. They need a little polish to get them back out the door to their next career. It's really
2: yeah. fun. They And they've they've gotten those imperatives. That's right. Top of our show here. That's right. See, we're, t- we're tying it all up. And you can get all of that at montyroberts.com. You can also call them at Flag is Up Farms. 805-688-6288. And of course, if you go to MontyRoberts.com, you're also going to find 805-688-6288 so you can give them a call on the phone. And for details about today's show, you can go to HorsemanshipRadio.com where you will find links, photos, and more information about today's topics and guests. We love your feedback. Head on over to Facebook and like Monty Roberts. It's the one with a little blue checkmark. Monty Roberts is also on social media. His Twitter and Instagram handle is monty underscore roberts and once you've done that go over and get the app or help your friend who hasn't gotten it yet it works for excuse me it it works for iphone and android just go to your app store and search horse radio network and download it it's free and you can get all the shows you want everywhere you go that's right, and many things to our sponsors too, who make
1: this all happen, and that's Finish Line Fencing and Coro and Monte Roberts University dot com. Be sure to visit all the other great shows too on the horse radio network at www.horseradionetwork.com. dot com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours <music>